Hey everybody, it's Kylie Gable. Welcome to another episode of the Apple Press Podcast, known as the Feminization Boudoir. My voice is still really struggling, and that's why I have on our guest, Mistress DJ, to kind of help me out so it's not just me talking and coughing and hacking and all that other good stuff. Hi, DJ. Hey there, Kylie. How are you today? Better than yesterday, I'll say that. I've got my big uh, ice mountain water in front of me that's helping. Well, good, good. You're sounding uh, better than you did yesterday. Although I just did an unsolicited product placement. I feel bad about that. Like, I, I should have been paid for that. You should get a yeah, sponsorship. Hit him up. <laughs> also, if Hall's people are listening, I'm also taking Hall's defense. And NyQuil slash DayQuil, if I can get money from any of those people, that would be great. But um, so we also have a weird thing going on, too. This this is the episode of the podcast that's probably been more difficult than any other episode. If you remember the message I gave yesterday about postponing, um, today's audio was supposed to be Shayla with the last part of surprise disification. But something weird was happening with her audio that has never, ever happened before. Um, as you know, when, when people record these audios, they don't do it in one take. It would be extremely difficult. How often do you pause when you're recording, DJ? Oh, gosh, I can't even count the number of times because if I get tongue twisted, I get frustrated and you'll hear me cussing and spitting and <laughs> muttering under my breath. So I will stop, get a drink, walk around a little bit, sit down and go again. Um, it, it's It's got to be in the dozens that I stop when reading a book. So Shayla is the same way. And as she was recording, every time she would hit pause, a few moments later... The next, like, three or four seconds would be digitally scrambled. Never heard it before, and hopefully we can get it figured out. But I thought that really would kill the mood of anything erotic. It would also make parts of the story hard to understand. So we had to make an executive decision, and we will have the last part of Surprise Sissification on probably next season. As you know... Um, my seasons go from May until October, I should say, from June until October, and then from December through April. It's about 20 episodes, and um, two, two seasons a year, and the reason I do that is November's National uh, Novel Writing Month, and so I like to try my hand at some other novel writing. And then it's just good to have just a break, and that's what May is for me. Um, and so as a result, next week we'll have a Halloween show, and then after that we'll have a month off. But that month will also give me a chance to make sure everybody's got new audios ready to go, because I am behind on getting audios to Raina, to Jen. I, I have a lot of people who need audios, so... So in this particular episode, this, I think, is the first audio that you ever did for me, DJ. I think it is, unless it was maybe one of the short ones, but this was the first big one I did for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's big. It's 49 minutes, which 
Most of mine are about 35 minutes now, so it's 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 substantial. And one of the reasons we picked this audio, first, only nine minutes of it have ever aired on, on this podcast. But the other thing is, um, it's a very Halloween type of story, uh, which I think is why um, I thought DJ would be the perfect person to do the voiceover for it as well. I think before we started, um, DJ, you called it a uh, Jason or uh, Michael Myers type story. It really is Jason-esque or Michael Myers-esque. Um, <laughs> the way that the guys keep disappearing, it seems a little reminiscent of, uh, you know, a camp where the kids go missing and the guys go disappearing kind of the same way. It's right. fun. It was it's a great story. So it's your typical fem- female domination feminization story, except that um, it does follow kind of the uh, genre pattern of a horror story. And um, but it's not supernatural or anything like that. And uh, I'm going to play the whole thing um, as a treat because it's been such a difficult episode to get out there. Uh, I hope you'll enjoy it. It's for sale on Clips for Sale. I think it's also still on I Want Clips as well. And um, I think DJ just does a great job reading it. And uh, like I said, it's it's horror as well, even though it, it's not terribly scary. It definitely follows that you know genre. So without further ado, here is Camp Femdom, written by me and recorded by Mr. DJ. Camp Femdom by Kylie Gable and Claudia Costa. Camp Femdom is published by Candy Apple Press. All rights reserved. Even though it was a scorcher outside, the tile floor was cool against Sean's face. It would have almost felt soothing if he wasn't completely helpless, unable to move, and waiting for the girls to finish John's makeover and start on his. He couldn't see much, straining to look over his shoulder with Amber's t-shirt tied over his head, but he could hear they were almost finished. Thames and Camp Fendon had started like they always did. Eight male and five female camp counselors arrived to make some money, while having lots of fun supervising the campers. July was set aside for senior campers, who were between 16 and 18 years old. Most of them had been coming here every summer for over half their lives, and they knew the routines. As the counselors were only college students, there wasn't a lot of age difference between the campers and their counselors. The entire camp was owned and operated by Ralph Fenden, a 60-year-old who quit his job as a machinist and bought the camp in the early 90s. Everybody knew that Ralph would leave for his own summer vacation during July and spend lots of time at the nearby racetrack when he was there. This left the counselors in charge of everything. One summer camp tradition was that the male campers and female campers would engage in a mammoth prank war. Doorknobs would be covered with vegetable oil and panties would be hung on flagpoles. This year was different. First, The counselors had become involved as well, and secondly, it had escalated quickly to ridiculous lengths. Nobody could remember who started it, 
but now it was personal. There were always tensions between the boys and girls at the camp. The grounds were extensive, but they were built during a time when guys would do outdoor activities and the girls would do needlepoint and make wallets. The guys never liked having to share and they let the girls know it. When the girls had the lake for a late morning swim, the male counselor snuck into the female counselor's cabin and took every bra and panty they could find. As there were 78 male campers and only 52 female ones, there were eight male counselors and only five for the girls. This gave the boys a huge numerical advantage, both among the counselors and the campers, a fact they used to win the prank war year after year. Now in possession of all their counterparts' underwear, the male counselors decided to hang them from the trees at the far end of the camp. They took their ill-gotten lingerie and headed to the trees, leaving Pete and Sean behind to guard their own cabin unless the girls tried to retaliate. Only now did it seem ridiculous to Sean that he and Pete were expected to somehow hold off the five angry and determined women. The girls did arrive and quickly overpowered them. Sean still remembered his crush, Amber Lee, twisting his arm up behind his back so her friend DJ could duct tape his hands together behind his back. Sean felt himself being hauled up to his feet. He couldn't see what was going on, but he felt his t-shirt being cut off his body, leaving him only in his shorts. His ankles were taped together but he was made to hop over to where Pete had been. Meanwhile, Pete was dragged over to the spot he had been laying in. The shirt was unceremoniously pulled from his head, and he saw Amber's smiling face. With her were DJ and Diane. Are you ready for your makeover? asked DJ. She was an athletic blonde girl who was a few inches taller than he was. She had deep blue eyes and he searched them for any sign of mercy, but found none. Sean tried to speak, but his mouth was gagged with Amber's bikini top, and though he could make faint sounds, he couldn't make himself understood. Amber began to rub nair into his chest and legs, while DJ held his taped feet flat, so that Diane could apply polish to his toenails. This was so humiliating. To Sean's mind, it was far worse than getting your underwear hung from a tree. As the nair did its work, Sean wanted badly to wash it, or at least scratch it. The chemicals were itching and even burning his skin a little. He also knew they would soon make him hairless. The girls could see his discomfort and it made them giggle among themselves. He couldn't even wiggle his feet. DJ made sure of that. Instead, he sat there passively as his toes turned bright red. He could now see what they had done to Pete, and knew that he'd be getting the same treatment. Mmph! He grunted into the swimsuit, gagging him. Don't even try talking your way out of it, said DJ. You're not sorry. You're just sorry we got the upper hand. Mmph! He tried to scream for help in vain. Let's do this, said Diane. Just like they'd done to Pete, Amber took responsibility for slathering Nair on Sean, while DJ and Diane worked together to paint his toes. 
Unlike Pete, Sean had long hair, so he got the curling iron treatment from DJ and Diane when they were done with his nails. This left Amber to do his makeup. The foundation was cold to the touch, but Amber's soft fingers made its application almost feel like a massage, even though it felt strange to have makeup on his face. Amber was meticulous with her makeup application, applying loose powder after the liquid. As she lined his eyes with jet black pencil, Cat eyes? What else? asked DJ. His eyes really do pop with makeup. He's starting to look quite a bit more girly, said Diane. I'm trying to do his makeup the same way I do my own, replied Amber. Keep doing it, said DJ. It's working. Amber chose to blend a soft purple and a deep rose eyeshadow on Sean's eyes, while applying thick mascara to the lashes. He looked so pathetic, with his heavily made-up eyes and soft curls peering out of the swimsuit stuffed in his mouth. I could do a lot better job if I could take off the gag, said Amber, as she finished his eyes. Not just yet, said Diane. Yeah, I don't want to hear him screaming for mercy right now, agreed DJ. It's time for the clothes. The girls untaped Sean and Pete's feet and hauled them into standing positions. You know, if you guys had worked on your tans instead of staying inside playing video games, we wouldn't have to put these pantyhose on you, said Amber. Don't you dare run these, said DJ. We don't have many at camp. Both boys were dressed. The girls had obviously planned ahead because they had a strapless fuchsia bra and matching panties for Sean and baby blue for Pete. Because they were strapless, they could be applied to the guys without untaping their wrists. Sean was put into a fuchsia halter dress that came just past his knees in the back but rose to thigh level in the front. It had a ruching detail all the way down the front of the dress and Sean couldn't help wonder who would bring such a dressy outfit to camp, even as the girls crammed his feet into a pair of white high-heeled sandals. You know, his polish clashes with that dress, said Diane. It's close enough, replied DJ. Let's take care of Pete, said Amber. I think that's Priscilla now, teased DJ. She could hear him groan into his gag and considered it a victory. Pete was placed in a baby blue, strapless, pleated chiffon dress that only came to mid-thigh. It was a very sexy dress, but much more appropriate for camp activities than the one Sean was in. His dress also had white, strappy, high-heeled sandals with it, but these actually fit him perfectly. The bathroom was constructed so that the toilet stalls and sinks were in the front part and behind a wall there were five shower stalls. The boys were led back to the shower stall and made to face each other. As DJ pressed their bodies together, Diane wrapped rope around the torsos, leaving their faces only a couple of inches away from each other. I wish we could put lipstick on them, said Amber. Why can't we? asked DJ. We'd have to take the gags out, obviously, replied Amber. Do you really think these two want to scream for help and have anybody see them like this? asked DJ. That's a really good point, agreed Diane. Diane removed Pete's gag and DJ removed Sean so that Amber could 
paint both their lips with a bright lipstick for Sean and a red one for Pete. Please, begged Pete, let us go. Oh, we will eventually, said Amber. For now, pucker up. Look, I know we've been jerks, said Sean. What do you want from us? Right now, said Diane, we want you to get down on the ground. What? asked Sean, just before the girls lowered them to the ground and tied their ankles together. Have fun, boys, said Amber, as the girls began to leave. Are they going to be okay like that? asked Diane. We'll get some of the senior campers to watch them. I'm sure they'll be happy to, said DJ. Speaking of senior campers, I wonder how they're doing with Matt and John, pondered Amber. I'm sure they're doing fine, said Diane. Those two aren't that smart. Just then, the girls heard the chime of a text message coming from the pocket of Pete's shorts. The boys' discarded clothing was under the sink, and DJ picked it up. The message was from Jose. He had sent a picture of the guys hanging up the girls' bras and panties in the trees on the other side of the campgrounds. That's my underwear. I'll kill them, said DJ. We knew they'd do that, reminded Diane. We'll get our revenge, and having to wash our underwear is a small price to pay. Wait a second, said Amber. Text back that we need to meet him somewhere alone. Be mysterious. Tell him to hurry. Where at? asked DJ. Tell him at the docks, suggested Amber. After DJ sent the message, the girls had a good laugh. Soon Amber was on her phone alerting Janelle and Paula that they could ambush Pete at the docks if they hurried. Let's get the password from Pete. It'll make this easier. For the life of him, Jose couldn't figure out what Pete was talking about. He couldn't believe he was missing hanging the girls' underwear in the trees for this. After looking around in vain for five minutes, he decided to just text Pete and have him tell him what he should be looking for. Jose texted, What the hell am I supposed to be looking for? Pete texted back, You haven't seen it? Jose replied, No. What am I even looking for? I don't see anything. Pete's response, Look at the bottom of the dock. Jose questioned, The bottom? Pete answered, yeah, lie down and look underneath. Jose said, underneath? Pete replied, yeah, underneath. Those bitches are dead meat. Jose did as he, Pete, instructed, and lying on the hot sand, he tried to peer at the underside of the dock, but he really couldn't see anything, and certainly nothing insidious. He was just about to text Pete again when he heard footsteps behind him. The sand had muffled the sound of Paula and Janelle creeping up on him until they were almost on top of him. They pounced on him and pinned him to the sand. Paula twisted his arms up behind his back while Janelle used soft clothesline to bind them together. Once he was immobilized, the two girls pulled down his shorts and underwear and pulled a magenta bikini bottom up his legs and tied the top around his chest. I'll get you for this, he said, finally breaking his silence. The two girls ignored him and got to work with the same sort of organization that their three teammates had used on Pete and Sean. Together, they applied Nair to his body, painted his toenails hot pink, and enjoyed his discomfort as they did this transformation. 
Once they rinsed off all his body hair by dumping buckets of water on him, they toweled him off and applied Maui Babe Browning Lotion to his skin. They wanted him to get a very deep tan quickly. Paula was always at makeup, so she worked on that while Janelle finished his nails and the browning lotion. She began spreading foundation on his face. Fortunately, Janelle and Jose had very similar complexions. She brushed his lashes with dark mascara and carefully accentuated his eyes with black liquid liner. Paula watched Jose's reactions as she dabbed rose and metallic pink shadow over his eyelids and emphasized his cheekbones with two shades of blush. She nodded knowingly as he swooned under her skillful hands. She drew a cupid's bow around his lips, filled in the outline with shiny pink lipstick and added a clear gloss. She whistled through her teeth at the end result, a very pretty little sissy. Jose's hair was short, but the girls had come equipped with a long brunette wig, which Janelle styled and attached to his own hair with bobby pins. He would have to take them out to remove that wig, and without the use of his hands, there was little chance for that. When they were finally finished, they looked down at their prisoner with glee. They needed to stow him somewhere where he wouldn't be rescued, so that they could go help their friends deal with the rest of the male counselors. Suddenly, Janelle had an idea. She stripped off her camp t-shirt and shorts, leaving her only in her yellow string bikini. Jose couldn't stop staring at the way her amazing golden brown body glistened in the noon sun. Janelle noticed Jose staring and she smiled to herself. She whispered something to Paula and Jose could see a huge smile crawl across Paula's face. She nodded vigorously at what her friend was saying. Okay, up you go, said Paula, hauling Jose to his feet. I can't move my legs, remember? asked Jose snidely. So hop, ordered Janelle. With the assistance of his two captors, Jose was able to hop down the pier and onto the passenger seats of one of the camp's paddle boats. Janelle climbed into the driver's seat and Paula carefully climbed onto the back of the boat. While Janelle secured Jose's feet together, Paula attached him to the front seat with more of that clothesline. When they were done, they did not think there was any way for Jose to get free without help. Paula climbed off the boat and back to shore, leaving Janelle to paddle the boat. The small lake in the campgrounds was great for swimming, but it only took about ten minutes to paddle out to the exact center. She looked over at her prisoner and gave him a wicked smile. What are you going to do? asked Jose nervously. I'm going to swim back to shore, said Janelle proudly. What am I supposed to do, asked Jose. Work on your tan, said Janelle, and she got up and dove right into the water, splashing Jose. Y you can't leave me out here, pleaded Jose. These can't tip over, especially not on calm water on a calm day, and there are no other boats out here. Enjoy yourself, said Janelle. You'll probably drift back to shore at some point. If not... I'll send somebody out to get you. When Matt and John got back to their cabin, they were pissed. Pete and Sean had been given the most important job at defending the cabin against reprisals from the girls, but they were nowhere to be seen. They carefully inspected their cabin just in case the girls did something more subtle to them. They tore all the sheets and blankets off their beds and looked around for any evidence of the girls being there. 
What the hell is wrong with those two? asked Matt, looking under his bed. If the girls found out what we did, they'd be out for blood, said John. No shit. I think we're okay, though, said Matt, breathing a sigh of relief. I don't think Mom would like you using that kind of language, said Matt's little sister, Christine. She was 18 years old and two years younger than Matt. John, who was only 19, had a massive crush on her, but never acted on it or said anything out of respect for Matt. She was accompanied by her best friend, Wendy Lowe, who was a very attractive Chinese girl with a bad attitude. What do you want, twerp? asked Matt. Where are the girl counselors, replied Christine. We have crafts. Well, they're not here, said Matt. Go beat it. Hey, look, we pay a lot of money for activities here. It's bad enough Fenden has left us here with you losers. But the girls have run off, and you're all we have. You're getting paid to do this, so start earning your pathetic check, said Wendy. Where the hell do you get off talking to me that way, barked Matt, his nostrils flaring. John, can you please talk some sense into my brother, pleaded Christine, giving her best puppy dog eyes. We just want to do the crafts. We're bored. Well, began John. It would mean a lot to me, said Christine, moving right over to John and brushing up against him. Okay, said John quietly, almost under his breath. What? Are you crazy, demanded Matt. Come on, Matt. It won't be that bad, promised John. Oh, thank you, said Christine. You coming too, asked Wendy. Sure, why not, replied John. You know, I'm not any happier about you leading the activity than you are leading it, Wendy said sourly. What is it anyway, asked John. Some kind of fashion thing, said Wendy. I don't know. It beats sitting around all day. Fashion? Really? Fuck, cursed John. The four of them went into a large central cabin, which was used for serving meals as well as activities. It was kind of quaint, with the old wooden picnic tables and benches, but it also hadn't been remodeled or even painted since 1988, and was beginning to show the signs of age. As Matt followed Christine along the tables, he saw that the girls had all sorts of dresses, shoes, makeup, and even lingerie laid out. He had no idea what this activity was, but he was absolutely embarrassed by all the women's clothing in the room. This was not the sort of activity he felt comfortable being in charge of. What are you supposed to do, asked Matt. It's a fashion show thing. I guess it's kind of like playing dress-up, replied Christine. Aren't you all going to college in the next year or two? I know, sighed a very tall girl with long blonde hair. I'm going to Stanford in a month, but Fenden came out with the activities, and he thinks playing dress-up is what 18-year-old girls do now. It's not that bad, Jill, said Christine. It kind of reminds me when we were kids, but yeah, it's kind of stale. You know what wouldn't be stale, said a petite black girl whose eyes seemed to constantly sparkle. What if we dressed up him? Oh, yeah, Nika, exclaimed Christine. That'd be great. Uh, I don't think so, said Matt nervously. Oh, please, Matt, pleaded Christine, turning so that she was leaning on Matt and her hand was brushing against his chest. You'd be my hero. It'd be embarrassing, said Matt, though everybody could see he was getting flushed from Christine's affections. Aren't I worth a little embarrassment? asked Christine, 
reaching over and picking up a makeup brush from the table. She playfully flicked Matt on the nose with it, smiling up at him. Okay, fine. Just nothing I can't wash off, begged Matt. The girls all cheered and quickly set upon him. Matt was inwardly whimpering as the girls eyed him hungrily like a piece of meat. He couldn't deny Christine anything, though. Christine appraised his face like an artist preparing to sculpt a lump of clay. She spoke to Matt, but more to the girls about the importance of a good foundation to cover any trace of facial hair and really making the eyes pop. That's exactly what I want. Your eyes and mouth show your emotion, you know, said Nika. Jill began to lay out a large assortment of product on the table in front of Matt. Christine applied a liquid makeup before dusting on loose powder. Did you want to keep the eyebrows? Yes, screamed Matt in a panic. Can you just neaten them up without making them really narrow and arched? Asked Nika mercifully. What? Asked Matt. No! Yeah, that's easy, she replied, grabbing a tweezers and pulling out stray hairs from Matt's brows. It did make him look more feminine, but his eyebrows wouldn't cause him to get any odd looks when he returned to life as a male. See, you don't look that different, said Christine as she held up a mirror for him. Okay, fine, but don't do anything like that again without my permission, warned Matt. Next came a rather detailed discussion about colors and blending that Matt could scarcely keep up with. As Jill used a pencil to apply eyeliner, Matt couldn't help flinching from the sharp object tracing his eyes. The mascara and the eyelash curler were only slightly less worrisome, but the girls managed to really bring out his eyes in a way that Christine agreed was perfect for his face. Matt felt like he had sat there for an eternity as Christine and her friends applied makeup, only to decide it wasn't quite perfect and cleaned it off to try something else. It finally ended as Christine finished putting a pink bubblegum lipstick on his lips and having him blot. Nika held up a mirror so he could see his face. Okay, that's weird to see, said Matt. I do kind of look like a girl, I guess. Are we done now? Almost, assured Christine as she lifted Matt's shirt off of him. Just a few more things, I promise. Nika and Jill took a large padded mulberry-colored bra and stuck his arms through the straps. Oh, geez, a bra, too, complained Matt. Relax, said Jill, as she fastened the bra behind his back. After stuffing the bra with a couple of Nerf basketballs, Christine selected a dark rose midi dress with long sleeves, a sexy thigh-high slit, and a tight fit. The dress was so form-fitting that it really shocked Matt when he saw it over the Nerf ball-stuffed bra. Are you done now, at least? asked Matt. I really feel ridiculous. Just one more thing. As she said that, Nick and Christine both took one of his arms and brought them together behind his back, where Jill was able to zip-tie them. The girls stood back and high-fived each other on their successful mission, even as Matt began to try and free himself from the plastic bands holding his hands together behind his back. Hey, this isn't funny, he protested. Oh, sweetie, it's fucking hysterical, said Christine, as she reached into a bag and pulled out an electric razor. She turned it on, and its very buzz made Matt shudder. We are going to have so much fun. John, help, called out Matt. But only when he looked over across the room did he see John laying across a table, where he was bound and gagged while a half-dozen girls were painting his fingers and toes and doing his makeup.
Silly sissy, teased Jill. Nobody's going to help you right now. You're in our clutches, and it's time to play dress up. We play for keeps, said Nika, wrapping a belt just under Matt's padded bra to pin his arms to his sides. The girls had timed it perfectly. They had waited until they had a bra and a dress on Matt before they restrained his wrists and arms. That meant they were free to continue their makeover without interference and without worrying about how to get the dress or bra over his bondage. Christine began to run the razor up his long legs until they became hairless. The girls were well prepared and even went as far as rubbing lotion on the legs afterwards to make them silky smooth. Matt just sat there helplessly pouting as the girls finished their work. They put a pair of heels on his feet, which were small enough that a pair of Nika's sandals fit him perfectly. After spraying him with some very floral-smelling perfume and placing a long, straight, blonde wig on his head, the girls led him over to the center of the cafeteria. Still bound, they sat him on top of a table in the center of the room. As the female campers saw the counselor's now feminized appearance, they all began to laugh and whistle at Matt. He felt like it was a prisoner of war in some foreign war. A few moments later, John was also escorted to the center of the room. When Christine got a look of her now feminized brother, she couldn't stop laughing at his appearance. He was clad in a black bardo crop top and wet look faux leather miniskirt. He struggled to walk in a pair of black thigh-high boots with his heavily made-up face and long black curly wig. Matt took a look back at his friend and decided he got off easy. Just darling, big brother, teased Christine. Eat shit, Christine, replied John, glaring at his sister. You're not being a very good prisoner. I'd hate to have to punish you. Okay, boys, said Jill, here's the deal. If you cooperate, we're going to tie you back to back, sitting on top of that table. If you resist, we're going to tie you face to face, lying together on the floor. It's your choice, agreed Nika. Back to back, mumbled Matt glumly. Oh, no. If you want us to tie you back to back, I want to hear you both ask me nicely, said Christine. Let's hear it. Please tie us back to back, replied Matt. Yeah, I'd like to be tied back to back, agreed John. All right, if that's what you really want, said Christine. Christine grabbed a long piece of clothesline and ran around both boys, tying them together back to back. Their ankles were tied by the other girls to the benches, leaving them immobile and helpless. They were warned that as they screamed or talked back that they would be gagged with their male underwear, so they stayed mostly quiet. Little did they know there were a few people who could have heard their screams and done anything about it. Kyle was just walking back from hanging the girls' underwear in the trees at the edge of camp. What his friends didn't realize is that he didn't actually take any underwear from Wendy Fisher. He'd had a crush on her forever, and the last two years they actually did something about it. He didn't have the heart to steal her underwear, and if he had stolen it, he certainly wouldn't have been hanging such a valuable prize from the trees. He walked into his cabin and was disappointed to see none of the other boys there. This was not good. Sean and Pete had been instructed to keep guard, and even John and Matt headed back before he did. They all should have been there. What if the girls had concocted some sort of crazy revenge for stealing their underwear? Kyle climbed up onto his top bunk and took advantage of his privacy to begin rubbing himself through his pants. Even though he had refrained himself from touching Wendy's underwear, 
He'd been horny since he was so close to it. His phone beeped, and he looked down to see what he had received. A text from Wendy. From Wendy. Thanks for not messing with my underwear. Kyle responded. I wouldn't think of it. Wendy said the girls are really pissed. They want revenge. Kyle texted back. Not worried. There are more of us. Wendy replied. Well, I'm neutral. Kyle responded. I know. Wendy asked, since they're gone, do you want to come over? Kyle answered, I don't know. Wendy responded, I'm wearing my teddy. Kyle answered, I'll be right over. Buying lingerie seemed like such a gamble to Kyle when he did it, but he really wanted to take his relationship with Wendy to the next level. Besides, she did have a birthday at the beginning of camp, and she seemed very appreciative of the gift. Kyle combed his hair and put on a cleaner shirt. He splashed on some cologne and rushed over to the girls' cabin. Just to be safe, he peeked in through the window to see if this was some kind of ambush, but the coast appeared to be clear. He took a deep breath and walked through the door. He finally saw Wendy, and she looked great, in her tight t-shirt and short shorts, but she was most definitely not in the teddy. He did see the teddy on her bed, along with some sexy stockings and a pair of skyscraper heels. He really wanted to see her in this outfit. There just wasn't much privacy in the cabins. Hey, Wendy, you're looking good. Are you sure this is safe? asked Kyle. Yeah, it's all good, replied Wendy. You're safe. Did you decide against the teddy? Not exactly, only I'm not going to be the one to wear it. You're not? asked Kyle. No, replied Wendy. You are. I don't understand. You want me to wear it? Yes, you're going to wear it, plus the other lingerie, plus makeup, and I'm going to style that gorgeous hair of yours into something more... pretty, explained Wendy softly as she strode up against her boyfriend and rubbed against him. Why would I do that? asked Kyle. Because you like me, and you want me to be happy. And the other girls noticed I didn't have my underwear violated. I promised them I'd take care of you. If I don't, they'll be mad at me. You wouldn't want that to happen, would you? cooed Wendy. No, I guess not. But what do you mean, take care of me? Wendy kissed Kyle softly on the lips, embracing him with her arms as she did. She did so slowly and seductively, before finally pulling away and smiling at him before continuing on. I know you had to notice that none of the other guys were at the cabin, didn't you? Yeah, I was just going to look for them when you texted me. That's because they've all been captured and dolled up already. No way! Well, except for Brad and Cole. They're next, though. We have all the others right now. I can't believe it. It's true. You can try texting or calling but they won't be over to reach their phones. I have to call Brad. Now you don't, said Wendy, touching a delicate manicured fingertip to his lips. You're going to let me have my fun with you, and since the other counselors are in the same boat, it won't be that humiliating. Afterwards, I'm going to make it all up to you. If you do what I want, 
you'll get everything you had your heart set on for this summer. Please consider it. I don't know. Ah, oh, come on. I'll make it worth your while, said Wendy, aggressively rubbing his cock through his pants. All right, fine, said Kyle, clearly flustered. Okay, go sit on my bed and take off your shoes and socks. I'm going to paint your toes, said Wendy. Kyle let out a deep breath before doing as she said. She sat across from him on a desk chair, looking up at him and smiling as she dabbed coral nail polish on his toes. I can't believe I agreed to this, said Kyle. Relax. While that dries, I'm going to do your fingernails. As Kyle looked down at his coral fingernails, Wendy couldn't help laughing. What'd I do for you, he said. You're really going to like this part, I think. Your fingers are dry, so you can strip now. Strip? Everything, she said, smiling seductively. I need to shave you, she said. Oh, God, sighed Kyle. Kyle could scarcely contain himself. Though she was fully clothed, being naked in front of Wendy had gotten him excited. Wendy had gotten him excited, but the way that she was so close to him had him entirely aroused. He could feel her breath. He could feel her breasts. Even the way that razor glided so teasingly smoothly up his body as she removed all his body hair had him trembling. I think I'm going to need to do something about that, said Wendy. Oh, yes, please, begged Kyle. If you're a good boy and cooperate with everything I tell you, promised Wendy. After Kyle had his body hair removed, Wendy helped him with his clothing. She began by sliding the thigh-high stockings up his now smooth legs. The sensation of silky material was driving him wild, and Wendy used that to her advantage, softly dragging the sheer material over his legs before putting them on him. She could hear him making barely audible moans at the sensation. The heels that she had her boyfriend put on were totally outrageous. They had five-inch heels, and standing in them was difficult enough for Kyle. The idea of walking them seemed beyond him, even as Wendy helped him take a few faltering steps around the cabin. Finally, Wendy helped him on with his teddy. He felt ridiculous to be wearing the item that he knew was extremely sexy. That's why he had purchased it for Wendy, after all. The high neck of the teddy covered up his lack of breasts, while its keyhole opening exposed the area where breasts would be. The red lace color seemed to cry out sex. Kyle was so turned on. Wendy sat on Kyle's lap to do his makeup. The combinations of the soft brushes on the skin, the girl he loved sitting on his lap with only a thin piece of material separating him from her body, the way she oozed sex when she moved, and the warm feeling of her breath on his body left Kyle beside himself with lust. He wanted to kiss her, but he knew she'd get pissed if he messed up his lipstick. One more thing, she said. Wendy went over to the nightstand next to her bed and grabbed a coil of soft white rope. She approached Kyle with a wicked look on her face. W what's that for? he stammered nervously. It's for you, she said, smiling coyly. I'm afraid I need to tie you up for this. 
You never said anything about that, replied Kyle, recoiling. Don't you trust me? Well, yeah, but I did say I'd take care of you, right? Okay, just not too tight, pleaded Kyle. Oops, almost forgot, she said, before retrieving a pair of falsies from the bed and stuffing them into the top of Kyle's teddy. She couldn't help but be amused by his distraught expression at having a pair of C-cup breasts. She maneuvered behind him, and after planting several soft kisses on the back of his neck, he sighed heavily. Kyle was surprised at how efficiently and securely Wendy was securing him. She crossed his wrists behind his back and cinched the ropes. He felt very helpless, even before she began running rope around his body to secure his arms to his sides. Okay, try to get loose, said Wendy. I can't, replied Kyle. Really try. Kyle struggled against the bonds, trying to pull his wrists free and slip out. He knew he was thoroughly trapped and admitted it. You got me good. Now, can you please take care of my erection? You make everything such a turn-on. All right, she said. I did promise. Wendy walked over to her nightstand again and grabbed a red plastic cup. She looked inside and smiled. W what's that for? Oh, good. All the ice is melted, she said, picking up the cup. I'm sorry, but you can't wear that teddy with a big bulge. No, you, you said you'd take care of it. I am, honey. I like you, and you're fun. I hope we can pick up where we left off later. But I like my friends, too, and sisterhood is powerful, as they say. No, exclaimed Kyle as Wendy dunked his dick into the ice-cold water until it had completely shriveled up. Finally, Wendy used athletic tape to pull Kyle's flaccid member behind him and tape it in place. No more bulge, she said as she used her own panties to gag her deflated prisoner. Now, we have a little walk to take. I'll go slow because I know those heels are a bitch to walk in. After finishing hanging up the girls' underwear from the trees, Andrew and Chris went out looking for frogs. They had a fun follow-up prank and needed at least a half a dozen frogs to carry it out. They eventually found four of them, but it took them a while and they were a few hours behind everybody else returning to the cabin. What the hell? Where is everybody? asked Andrew. Let's find out, said Chris, pulling his phone from his pocket and texting Kyle. The boys plopped down on their beds, but after five minutes, when there was no response from Kyle, they tried Matt, but again received no response. Just try them all. I want to know what's going on, said Andrew. One by one, Chris called all the other counselors. They were both dismayed that nobody responded right away, but then they heard the ding of Chris's phone going off. With Andrew reading the screen over his shoulder, Chris replied, there was a message from Pete. Hey, Chris. If you're looking for your friends, they're a little tied up. Chris texted back. What are you talking about? Pete responded. You're next, Chris. Is Andrew with you? Chris texted back. Not funny, Pete. Pete replied. It's not Pete. It's DJ. Chris answered. Why do you have Pete's phone? Pete sent back, you're next. Shit, exclaimed Chris. Do you think that's real? 
Yeah, replied Andrew. That's why we couldn't get a hold of anybody else. They say we're next, said Chris, grabbing a baseball bat from the corner of the room. We're sitting ducks here, said Andrew. Get your camping gear together. Yeah, good idea, said Chris. Within ten minutes, the boys managed to stop looking out their windows long enough to get their gear packed and go running off into the woods. The camp itself was on a twenty-six-acre property, and they hoped they could find a remote enough place that DJ and the other girls would have a very difficult time finding them. They settled on a small clearing not far from the lake and kind of tucked away, surrounded by large conifer trees. It would be dark soon. They started a small campfire and set up a small but functional tent and prepared to hold out using all the survival skills that they'd learned over the years at the camp. The fire was kind of warm during the summer evening, but the light was comforting. If the girls came around, they'd see them. You know, said Andrew, we should go over there about one in the morning and see if we can figure out what's going on. Do you think they got our friends locked up somewhere or something, asked Chris. They would have answered otherwise, so this will be a rescue mission, replied Andrew. Okay, I'm going to take a leak, and then let's figure out how we'll do it said Chris, getting up and walking to a place to relieve himself. He walked about fifty yards away and peed against the side of a large tree. He hadn't realized how long it had been, and it felt good to expel all that waste. He was gone for maybe five minutes, and as he relieved himself, he had a bright idea. As he walked back to the campfire, he called out, Hey, let's see if we could kidnap some of the girls and do a hostage. Andrew was gone. In his place was a velvet plum-colored dress that he guessed was somebody's prom dress. On top of the dress was a note, which he immediately read. One chance to do this the easy way. Take off your own clothes and put everything on. Everything. Chris yelled, never, before ripping up the note and tossing it into the fire. He was angry now, but he was also alone. He knew the girls were out there watching somewhere and toying with them the way that cats do with mice. He couldn't deny the truth any longer. They had taken Andrew, who was larger than he was, and did it efficiently without him even hearing it. They could take him down any time they wanted to. He picked up the dress and saw that there was even more stuff underneath it. Dark pantyhose, a padded black bra and panties, black wedge heels, and a brown wig that was close to his own hair color, and a brown paper bag. He paused and thought about it for a moment. He hated to do this to himself, but the girls would probably get him much worse if he didn't. He stepped into the panties and fumbled around with the bra. Putting the pantyhose on was another challenge for Chris, but he did it before putting the dress on. It was ankle length, but it had a long slit in it that showed his right leg all the way up to his thigh. Once he was in the clothes, he opened the brown paper bag. There was a short piece of rope, a sleep mask blindfold, and a pair of heavy handcuffs. Wasn't it enough he put on the clothes the way they told him to? There was a note in the bag as well, and he pulled it out. Sit down and tie your ankles together with the rope. Do it securely. After that, put on the blindfold and lie on your stomach. Put on the cuffs behind your back, and we'll be by to pick you up shortly. Fine, yelled Chris, complying with the instructions on the note.
He grabbed the bag and took it over to a smooth patch of grass to reduce the chances of bugs or spiders that lived in the trees crawling over him. He tied his ankles somewhat securely and put the black blindfold over his eyes. He had second thoughts as he lied down, but still went ahead and put the heavy cuffs on his wrists. He was thoroughly helpless now, and he knew it. A few minutes later, Chris could hear the giggling girls approaching. He could hear that they were all laughing at him. Chris, I always said you were the smart one, said Paula, bending down and tightening the cuffs. You avoid nail polish, a leg shaving, and a whole bunch of other mean things by cooperating, agreed Wendy. Let's get you back, said DJ. We're having a party, and you're one of the guests of honor. The guys were all escorted out by some of the senior camper girls and placed on their knees on the camp stage. Sitting in front of them on five wooden chairs were the female camp counselors. They had smug looks of satisfaction on their faces as the girl campers in the audience cheered for their counselors. All of the male counselors still had their hands bound behind them, although some had been repositioned. It was nine o'clock now, and that meant that Pete and John had been captured nearly ten hours ago. The girls were happy to be in charge and humiliate their rivals, but they didn't want to torture them too badly. The torches that lit up the stage and the audience gave the scene of the appearance of warriors captured by a tribe of Amazons, except these warriors weren't wearing armor, but dresses, heels, and makeup. DJ spoke, well, how'd that little prank war work out for you? I hope you learned the natural order of things, said Janelle. DJ spoke, unless you want to spend the rest of the summer bound and gagged. There's going to be some definite changes around here. This camp is about 50 years behind the time, and we are going to bring it into the 21st century. Matt grunted into his gag in protest, but he could barely make a noise louder than a soft moan. Diane continued, We're going to make a new schedule, and you and your campers will be giving up some of the areas you've monopolized because of Fendon's old-fashioned way of running things. For the foreseeable future, said Paula, this camp is under new management. The girl campers cheered. As the boys peered out of the windows of their cabins, they cringed. None of them wanted to step out there and face the possible wrath of all these girls, but they knew changes were coming. Epilogue DJ looked back in satisfaction as she walked past the stage, as she led a group of campers to the archery range. The boys were working on the camp performance night. You're not kicking in unison, boys, yelled John. Your kicks aren't nearly high enough either, added Jose. The two counselors were thrilled to be wearing camp t-shirts and shorts in the morning at least. At night, the girls had other things for them to wear. But for now, they let him retain some dignity with the changes. What part of one singular sensation are you not understanding, asked John. Look, this is important, guys. Let's take it from the top, said Jose. They were doing the same show that they'd been doing since the 1970s at the camp. Eventually, any girls who wanted to join the production would be encouraged to fill out the cast. But if they just wanted to do archery or camp out in the woods, that was fine, too. All right, and that was Camp Femdom. Just took a big swig of water. That helps a bit. 
So the last thing that DJ and I were talking about is there are some changes coming to Candy Apple Press. Um, my work situation is temporarily shifted a little bit. And it's only temporary, but probably for the maybe next seven, eight months, it's going to be really hard for me to keep publishing new books every single week. I'm trying to find out what a realistic schedule is for me at this point. I don't want to go back to every other week, but I'm not quite sure. Like, do I set a goal of three books every month? Is that how I do it? I'm not sure. One thing I'll be doing a lot of, um, and DJ has been wonderful with this is probably using my co-writers a lot more heavily. Um, over the last couple months, uh, Mr. DJ has really stepped up on the writing for us. Um, Feminized Doorman. I'm trying to remember all the ones that we have. Um, Here's an Don't forget you know. that one. And Feminized Librarian. There's a bunch of short stories coming out for Halloween that you've written as well. Absolutely. So... That's a big help. Mindy has done this, done a lot of writing for, with me as well. And so I'm hoping that when we all, you know, get together, we can all kind of pick up the slack a little bit. And um, I think if I could accept that I'm not going to have a new book every single week, then I'll have more time to work on other things. I really miss doing my newsletter. I haven't done it in over a year. It's like a year and a half. But I just haven't had time. So... Hopefully that might leave me a little more time for some of the other things as well. So DJ, thank you for that reading, which I thought was excellent. And everything you've been doing lately, it's just been a big help. Well, I'm glad I've been useful. I love working with Candy Apple Press and alongside you. Um, I, of course, you know, I love when it crosses over into the horror genre as well. So it was a fun it's, story and a fun read. That is your genre. So you know, we have a, we just have a great bunch of people. And I always say, you know, a great bunch of mistresses, you know. But I'd be remiss if I didn't include the other people who work with us. You know, Mindy, who's a great writer, and Missy and Sally and Claudia, who've been doing a lot of writing, maybe not the voiceover work. And then also... um Annabelle, who um, I've always been able to count on for, for artwork. Um, if you've ever read any of the Jaguar books, just amazing artwork she's done to illustrate those. So um, just a great group to be working with right now. Absolutely. Oh, and I knew I forgot a new Sissy writer, too, Sissy Brenda. Yeah, Sissy Brenda's been a big help as well. So Good addition. But, Anyway, look for a lot of big stuff for us. We're working um, on a um, top secret project right now. We've been working on it for, oh, about two months, and we'll be letting that get known pretty soon, too, that, that uh, DJ and I have been having a lot of fun with. Absolutely. Top secret, but you will find out about it in, <laughs> in, in, the, in the near future. All right. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back. And I hope my voice will be too.